Hello and welcome back to the Killer Kind Podcast. It's your host, Stephanie Miller, as always. As you may remember from the last episode, I mentioned that I was going to be a guest on another podcast for the first time ever. (laughs) I did an interview with the Unclever Podcast. It's a group of guys from my hometown who are hilarious. (laughs) They cover different topics every week with various guests, and they had me on to talk about the killer kind. And we also discussed the last case that I covered here, the Alicia Bromfield case. I really enjoyed being over there with the guys and can't wait for you to hear the episode. That episode will come out on Monday, August 1st, so next week. Again, that's the Unclever podcast, and I highly recommend you check them out. They're available on Spotify and Apple, and I'm sure anywhere you can listen to this podcast. Now, before we get into today's episode, I want to say something that I don't typically say, or I don't think I've ever said, but I probably should. (laughs) All of the information I give you guys comes from the internet. It's public information. Anybody can find this information I give you. Usually, I pull from news articles, online reports, court documents, or police records if they're available. And then sometimes I also like to listen to other podcasters or true crime storytellers to hear how they've told the story. Was there something I missed? Did they do an exclusive interview with a family member or someone else involved in the case? And honestly, you'd be surprised how many times I find misinformation being shared by other people, other podcasters even. I'm sure I've gotten some things wrong before. I'm definitely not perfect because not everything on the internet you find is true. But I always like to fact check myself as much as possible. And that's why today I want to give credit to Danielle Holland on YouTube. I don't know how she does it. She covered the same case we're going to talk about today, and she's always just so respectful of the victims, and I think she and I are similar in the sense that I can tell we feel the emotion of each and every case. Like, when the family is angry, I'm angry. She's angry. When the police didn't do their job, I get fired up, and so does she. And when I read about what happened or what possibly happened, it's hard not to put yourself there or at least around this family and around the victim. And you want to share their story to somewhat give them a voice. And sorry to kind of rant on you guys at the very beginning of the episode, but these are people's lives. These are families and these are victims. And I don't say it enough, but my heart goes out to every person involved in each and every case I cover. I cover these cases because I want to share their story and hopefully there's a lesson or something in there that we can all learn from or at least know what red flags can look like and maybe save yourself or save someone from danger. That's at least always my goal. (laughs) Now, with all of that said, let's finally get into today's episode. Today's case is a disappearance That involves somebody I consider just to be a good old country boy. There's no better way to describe him. And when a young guy like that goes missing, the small town rumor mill kicks up. Which means there's a lot to get into on this one. So, without further ado, let's dive into the disappearance of Chance Engelbert. Chance Leslie Engelbert was born on December 2nd, 1993. He grew up on a ranch in Edgemont, South Dakota, with his parents Don and Everett, as well as his two younger brothers, Miles and Clay. He was described by his mom as shy, but hardworking and very smart. He had a passion for life, and he was definitely someone who knew what they wanted and would go after it. He did play football in high school, but he had bigger dreams. He knew he wanted to be a rodeo cowboy at a very early age. Specifically, he wanted to ride bareback horses in the rodeo. However, in fifth grade, he was a little too young to ride the horses, but he was able to ride the bulls, which surprises me a little. (laughs) But by the eighth grade, he was able to ride bareback. 
And he was so good at it, in fact, that he received a full ride scholarship from Laramie County Community College in Cheyenne, Wyoming, where he got his degree in diesel mechanics and welding. And if you're not familiar with Cheyenne, just listen to any Garth Brooks or George Strait song. (laughs) It's apparently every bull rider's dream place to ride. So Chance was really fulfilling his dreams and accomplishing everything he wanted out of life. And yes, he had dreams and passions, but family meant more to him than any of that. Chance was extremely close to his parents and brothers. He was a great big brother, and they really looked up to him. He was asked during an interview after a competition what he loved to do when he wasn't riding. And he said it was just spending time with his family on the ranch. Being outside, pretty much doing anything, especially with his family. I'll leave some links to a few of his interviews so you can really see him and kind of see how he talks, how he carries himself, which is always very important in cases like this. Now, after studying welding, Chance developed a new passion, which was working on demolition derby cars. If you listen to this and you're from my area of the state of Alabama, you've probably been to Savory, or at least know what it's about, and you know exactly what I'm talking about here with the demolition derby. But it's basically just old cars that people will fix up and put into races, basically just to destroy (laughs) Chance loved it, and just like with everything else, he was good at it. Now, after graduating college, Chance gets a job at Bel Air Mine in 2016, where he ends up meeting a guy named Matt Miller, who sort of helped train him on the job, and the two pretty much hit it off and became good friends right away. And they start hanging out pretty much every day. They went hunting and fishing together and worked on derby cars together when they weren't at work. (laughs) Matt said Chance was a great guy. He was the kind of friend you could call at any time, day or night, and he'd be there for you. Didn't matter what he had going on. I believe it was his wife that we'll talk about here shortly that said he was the kind of guy that would get home late from work, crawl into bed, and then have a buddy call needing something, and he'd put his boots right back on, and he'd go out to help them. And let's go ahead and get into Chance's future wife. Chance and a younger girl named Bailey start talking in the fall of 2017. Bailey said she had known about Chance before actually meeting him. I believe she said it was her ex-boyfriend and Chance's younger brother that were the same age. And she said she would see him at different rodeo competitions there. But like I said, the two finally started really getting to know each other in the fall of 2017 and started dating that October. Now, Bailey was a few years younger than him, so his family kind of gave him a hard time about dating a girl so much younger. But he didn't care. He was pretty much head over heels for her right away. And on the anniversary of when they started dating, the two got married. Needless to say, their relationship moved pretty quickly. Now, according to Matt and Dawn, Chance's mom, there was some family conflict between Bailey and Chance's family. Supposedly, Bailey didn't want Chance's family at the wedding. It's not clear why she didn't want them there. And it may not have even been Bailey that said she didn't want them there. It's pretty much just hearsay. However, Matt said there was a fight that broke out between the two families at the wedding. Dawn said that she and Bailey had a great relationship when her and Chance started dating. However, at around the time of the wedding, she started feeling pushed away by Bailey, and she didn't really understand why. Now, we all know Mother-in-law and daughter-in-law relationships can have its issues, so maybe this was just one of those situations. But moving on. So the couple get married, despite the family drama, and the two start to settle into their life. Bailey said in an interview with The Vanished podcast that the two rarely argued. If they did, it was resolved pretty quickly. She said it was just very easy being married to him. However, his friends and family have disagreed with that statement, pretty much contradicted it, in fact. His friends and family said the two did love each other deeply, but their marriage had its highs and really low lows. 
meaning they loved hard and they fought harder. But people always do say the first year of marriage is the hardest, so keep that in mind. Chance's childhood friend DJ said that Chance and Bailey lived with him for a little while, and he said the two fought all the time. He said it was pretty much childish and petty fights. Bailey would accuse Chance of doing things that he didn't do. She would blow things out of proportion and things like that. He compared it to a high school relationship. But keep in mind, this is Chance's friend. And again, Bailey has made contradicting statements about her marriage. But in an interview, Dawn said that she was worried about their marriage at one point. That she even mentioned doing marriage counseling. So a lot of mixed reports here. But just keep in mind, we don't know the truth about that relationship really. And You might ask yourself, why was Dawn really pushing marriage counseling so early on in their relationship? Well, that was because Bailey was pregnant. It wasn't mentioned as a reason for the wedding. However, Chance and Bailey welcomed a baby boy named Banks on April 4th, 2019. So about six or seven months or so after their wedding. And Chance was honestly over the moon. Bailey said she was nervous when she found out she was pregnant, but Chance was not. He was so excited, he could not wait to have a baby. And when he found out that it was a boy, he was even more excited. So excited to show him how to work on the ranch, how to fix cars, and just do all the normal father-son things together. Everybody said that Chance was a great dad. And he would have continued to be an amazing dad. But sadly, he only had a few short months with his son before he mysteriously disappeared. Now, before we get into that, I want to kind of set the scene for you for that summer. So around the time their son was born, Chance bought a house for the three of them in a very small town called Moorcroft, Wyoming. He was very proud of himself and was excited to start this new chapter of their lives. However, in June, Chance and his friend Matt, along with 600 other employees, lost their job. They were laid off because the company they worked for went bankrupt. Luckily, though, he and Matt heard about another welding job at a propane company nearby and were able to get hired pretty much right away. And their first day was scheduled for the Monday after the 4th of July weekend. So Matt and Chance were pretty excited to have the holiday weekend off of work. So the two decided to make plans to go up to Chance's family's ranch. But Chance and his mom ends up getting into a fight. Dawn said it was because she had been talking poorly about Bailey and Chance had found out about it. Dawn said the things that she had said were nothing more than what she would tell Bailey to her face, but she understood why her son was upset. And sadly, Chance told her to give him the week to work on his marriage, basically implying, don't call me, don't talk to me, let me spend time with my wife. She said it was one of the hardest things for her family to do because they pretty much talked daily. And listen, I do the same thing with my mom. She went on vacation for like 10 days a month ago, and it was a struggle not to call her after work every day like I do. (laughs) So I'm sure this was hard for Dawn, but also for Chance. So Bailey and Chance decided to take Banks up to her grandparents' house in Gearing, Nebraska, which is about a four-hour drive. Now, Matt was not really invited on this trip, so Chance had to tell him that they were no longer going fishing. And he understood the situation and said there was no hard feelings, even though he would end up wishing that he had been there with his friend that weekend because the two would never see each other again. Fourth of July was on Thursday that year, so Chance and his little family made their four-hour drive the day before the holiday and planned to stay until that Sunday. Everything seems to go fine. There were no signs that there were any issues while they were there up until Sunday afternoon. The morning of July 6th, that Saturday, Chance gets a text from his dad saying there's a package for him at their house in South Dakota. 
He replies back saying that he'd come by and pick that up on Sunday along with a few other things, including his welding helmet that he would need to start his new job on Monday. After that, Chance, his brother-in-law and father-in-law, all go to play a round of golf. Bailey talks to him at one point while he's there and he seems to be in a great mood. And he said it was a super nice day. So she decided to take Banks up to the golf course to watch them play for a little bit. However, by the time she gets there, his mood has totally changed. It's done a complete 180. Right after she gets there and gets her son out of the car, Bailey walks towards Chase and he's walking towards her and he is pissed. He tells her to get the F back in the car that we're leaving. And she's obviously trying to figure out what is wrong, but she listens to him and starts putting Banks back in the car. Now, from what I can tell, nobody has ever flat out said what happened at the golf course, but supposedly Bailey's brother Kyler and possibly her dad made a joke or a negative comment about Chance's new job and how he's not making as much money as he was. Or, again, something along those lines. Now, as a young father and newly married man, I could see how he would be very upset by a comment like this. You know he's that kind of guy that takes pride in providing for his family. So for somebody to basically say he's not doing a good job would surely piss him off. So Chance, Bailey, and Banks all get back in the car. Chance said that he wanted to go home, not back to her family's house, but back to his home in Wyoming. Apparently on this car ride, Bailey is trying to reason with Chance, saying he had to have misunderstood what her brother said. He said that he had been drinking while at the golf course and there was just no reasoning with him at the time. So Bailey drives them back to her grandparents' house and Chance immediately says, no, I want to go home, not here. And Bailey said that she understands that. Just let me go inside and pack everything up, then we can leave. And this is when everything just takes a turn for the worst. This part of the story all comes from Bailey, from her interview on The Vanished podcast. So keep this in mind. This is one person's story of events. So Bailey said, as she heads back inside, she sees Chance getting out of the car and starts walking away. She apparently gets Banks out of the car seat, takes him inside to her grandparents, and by the time she comes back out, Chance is nowhere to be found. Now, according to Bailey and other friends and family members, this was not abnormal. Chance had been known to go for a walk or go outside when he was mad and needed to blow off some steam, but he would always come back and be in a much better mood. But again, according to Bailey, she jumps in the car and starts driving down the road looking for Chance. Okay, so at 7.23 p.m., Chance calls his friend Matt and tells him what has happened. During this call, he asks Matt if he would come pick him up. Keep in mind that Chance is four hours away from their hometown. And Matt was celebrating the 4th of July holiday. He probably had been drinking and he definitely had some friends over. So Matt said that unfortunately he wasn't in the best state to make that drive. But he said that he would make some calls to see if somebody could come pick him up. Two important things to note here, if you're taking notes. <laughs> the first thing, Matt said he could clearly tell that Chance didn't seem drunk. We'll get into that a little bit later, but he said yes, he was mad and upset, but he did not sound heavily intoxicated, if intoxicated at all. The second important thing here is that Chance tells Matt that he is walking northwest towards a town called Torrington. It's a town just over the Wyoming-Nebraska border. Torrington is about a 40-minute drive from Gearing, and Chance is on foot. His mom said that Torrington was a town he knew pretty well. It was somewhere they rodeoed a lot. So, although he wasn't super familiar with the Gearing or Scotts Bluff area that he was in, 
He did travel around that area many times. But this statement from Matt saying that he was headed towards Torrington is important. Because just 15 minutes later, Bailey gets a hold of Chance on the phone after trying to reach him several times. And on that phone call, Bailey said that he told her he was heading south towards Kimball. Again, about a 40-minute drive, but the opposite direction. Now, maybe Chance lied to her because he didn't want to see her at this point either. I'm not sure, but again, contradicting statements there. But after Matt gets off the phone with Chance, he starts making the phone calls and trying to find somebody to pick up his friend. He immediately calls Chance's mom, Dawn, and due to her fight with Chance earlier that week, she felt that her son would not want to hear from her, and she he certainly wouldn't want her driving up there. However, she said that she would try to get in touch with his aunt, Katie, and Uncle John to call him and see what's going on. And she was also going to get her husband to call as well. And whenever it called, there was no answer. So he decides to call Larry, a good friend and co-worker of Matt and Chance's, And he says that he has not heard from Chance and that he doesn't know what's going on, but that he would call Bailey and see what's going on. And it doesn't take long, but Larry calls Chance's parents back and tells them that he told Bailey to call them and to tell them what all has happened. In the meantime, his aunt Katie and Uncle John, who, side note, aren't actually blood related, but they're super close friends of the family. And Chance and Katie are especially close, so if anybody could reach him, they thought it would definitely be her. But sadly, their calls and texts were going unanswered as well. And really, after that call with Bailey, there are no other calls answered by Chance. So a little after 8 p.m., Bailey calls Dawn and Everett and explained it was no big deal, that it was just a misunderstanding at the golf course, that her and her family were out looking for him, and they would find him. Again, don't worry. However, at around 9 p.m., Bailey tells her in-laws they are going to stop searching for Chance because there is a big storm coming in, but that they will keep looking after the storm passes. But this entire time, Chance's family and friends are all trying to text and call him, as well, like I said, as Aunt Katie. And she said in a later interview that she sent a text to him after 8 p.m. saying, hey, just have a question. Can you give me a call? She said she didn't want to bug him or alarm him or make it seem like they were worried about him at the time. And she just didn't want him to think that they felt he wasn't handling the situation well. And that text went unanswered for a little while. But at 9.08 p.m., she gets a response back. And it's a little chilling, to be honest. All it says, though, is, I'm with a straight face, almost like sad emoji. The one where it's like the two dots for the eyes and the line straight across for the mouth. And then a second text was just a bunch of letters. So at that point, Everyone is kind of becoming worried because that text just doesn't make sense. And nobody can get a hold of him. So what's going on? By 11 a.m. the next morning, Sunday, July 7th, when Chance was still nowhere to be found and no one had heard from him again, Bailey decides to call and file a missing persons report. According to Bailey, it took several calls to the Gearing Police Department before they would take the situation seriously. But eventually they do, and they gathered a huge group of people to search for Chance. It took a day or two to get everybody together, but in total they had 17 different law enforcement agencies, including drones and cadaver dogs. At some point during the search, Bailey leaves her grandparents' house in Gearing and goes to their home that her and Chance shared, thinking that maybe he would show up there. Dawn had asked Matt to go to work as planned that Monday, the one that he and Chance were supposed to start together. 
Matt said that he really didn't want to, but he knew that Chance would not miss a day of work. That's just the kind of guy that he was. No matter what was going on, he would be at work and do what he was responsible for. So, he went there hoping to see Chance walk through the door that morning. But sadly, he never arrived. Matt said he stayed at work until about noon that day and then decided to leave and drive up to Gearing to search for his friend. He said that when he got there, it was chaotic with the amount of people out searching. At this point, Chance's parents, other good friends, Bailey and her family were all in Gearing out pounding the pavement. Because at this point, Bailey had put out a Facebook post about Chance being missing. So everyone close to him jumped into action. And while local law enforcement were putting together this search, they also had certain officers tasked with finding security camera footage as well as pulling phone records, hopefully to at least, at the very least, track the path that Chance was taking to get a better idea of where to specifically search for Chance. And sure enough, they had some luck. He was seen on security footage walking down Martha Street, and he's seen pulling out his phone and taking a left on 10th. I'll try to find a link to the footage if I can and leave it in the show notes. But on the footage, he looks completely normal. He's not stumbling or walking funny. He's just walking down the street and pulls out his phone. Now, this is at about 7.50 p.m., so right around the time that he's talking to Bailey and around the time family members are starting to find out. And I'll also mention the fact that he's not stumbling or anything like that because Dawn said in an interview that she was led to believe by Bailey and her family that Chance was very intoxicated, but she said she was surprised to see that footage because it's not at all what she expected to see. But sadly, that is the last sighting of Chance. Now, there are other ways to track his movements that continue past this point, and that would be his cell phone pings. So, based on the sighting and based on the phone pings and the route that makes the most sense for the direction he was headed, he would have made his way to the North Platte River, and it's believed he used the bridge that crossed the river because his phone pings at the Western Travel Terminal truck stop. So a lot of people have speculated that's exactly where he went. However, the thing about cell phone pings is that it's not an exact spot. We know that the cell phone pinged off the tower at the truck stop, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Chance was there. He was just within a certain radius, a certain mile radius of that gas station. He really could have been anywhere. But let's touch on this location for a second. So the cell phone pings at this truck stop at around 10 p.m. that night. Reminding you that Chance left at around 7.15, 7.30, somewhere around there at the latest, from Bailey's grandparents' house. Well, the issue with that truck stop is that it is only four miles away from the grandparents' house in Gearing. How did he only travel four miles in three hours when he made it clear to Matt that he was planning on heading all the way to Torrington. Reminding you, 40-minute drive, which is like a 12-hour walk. (laughs) Very suspicious, if you ask me. However, with the storm that night, maybe he didn't want to go that far. Maybe he realized he wanted to sit and wait the storm out. And there was also a nearby golf course, as well as a canal, that ran right along the route that we believe that he took heading towards the North Platte River. All of which were in a three plus mile radius of the cell phone ping. So again, he could have been anywhere. So investigators in a large search party searched the area along this canal. 
and the police department actually had the water turned off at the canal that led into the river so so that they could search the water and the banks along the canal and the river. Now, it is believed that Chance would have likely been crossing the bridge or near the bridge at around 9 p.m. that night. And that is when the bad storm started to come in. But also when he sends that strange text at 9.08 p.m. Matt said that this area was searched by pretty much everyone over the course of four days. 2,300 acres were searched. The Engelberts drove all around the Scotts Bluff and Gearing area. The cadaver dogs conducted their searches. Regular scent dogs were brought in. And there was just absolutely no sign of chance anywhere. It was heartbreaking. Now, after that first search on that Monday... Bailey and Dawn were brought in together and were told that nothing was found. They were clearly devastated. However, Dawn claims that during that conversation, Bailey mentioned something about a death certificate. Now, this was rightfully infuriating to Dawn. And even Detective Rogers, who was talking to the two women, said he was taken aback and surprised by that comment. And y'all, this is honestly what has sparked the wild rumors that more is going on here. And this obviously put a lot of speculation on Bailey and her family because her family is the one who pretty much started all this. And now she's asking about a death certificate. But look, she was young. She has this house and a new baby and this new life that Chance was paying for. She was a full-time nursing student, and all the finances were about to fall on her. But let's not jump to any conclusions yet. (laughs) So I mentioned Matt, along with everyone else, ended the search after about four days. Matt was forced to go back home so he could get back to work, but the police gathered both families and explained that they had exhausted all efforts as far as a physical search goes. So now it was just going to be moved into an investigation. Lead investigator Brian Eads has said that there are many theories as to what happened to Chance. So let's go ahead and get into a few of those. The original theory was that there was a tragic accident that occurred by the river or by Terry Lake, which is a smaller body of water that he would have been close to on his route. And The accident likely occurred either due to the storm or something along those lines, something to do with Mother Nature. However, every member of his family, including his best friend Matt, has said there is no way weather took this guy out. Matt said that he was an avid outdoorsman. He'd leave Matt in the dust when they went out hunting. He said Chance was like a mountain goat. He was built for the outdoors. They believe without a shadow of a doubt that the weather did not cause his death or disappearance. Matt said something that honestly gave me chills as well. He said, Mother Nature doesn't hide a body. Y'all, how many times have we heard disappearance cases and they say it was just a tragic accident? We don't know what happened. And it could have been. But that doesn't explain why we can't find a body or any evidence at all. Plus, we know the canal was searched thoroughly. The water was stopped, the canal was drained, and there was no body, no sign of chance anywhere. The canal does flow into the North Platte River, which we know was also thoroughly searched. And... Shout out again to Danielle Holland that if you look at a map and this, sorry, this is what she said on her, um, on her episode. She said that if you look at a map of the North Platte River, there is a dam in every direction that this river goes. So her conclusion was if he had ended up in the river, eventually he would have ended up at the end of one of these dams. Not that this completely like rules out the theory, but it's definitely something to think about and 
something to consider. It's still a body of water. I know that's tricky. Maybe he wasn't found because it wasn't searched fully. It's hard to really say. But all the evidence points to this river was searched more than thoroughly. Also, Dawn was able to get her hands on Chance's phone. And she saw a tiny amount of data used at around 11 p.m. that Saturday night. And I'll explain why this is relevant. She called the phone company and they basically told her it was probably an app updating in the background. It wasn't an actual sign that Chance or someone was using the phone. However, if it's believed that he fell in the water that night, shortly after or right around that 9 p.m. time, because there was no activity on his phone after that 908 text was sent, until that small amount of data was used at 11 p.m. So, this sort of challenges the theory that he fell into the water at all. How would his phone continue to work two hours after if it fell into a big body of water? Now, I know iPhones especially can hold up in water for a small period of time, but does it hold up for two hours? I don't think so, and that just doesn't seem plausible. The second theory that has since come up is that of a robbery gone wrong. It's not something I've mentioned yet, but there have been rumors of a possible robbery. Detective Eads said they have received tips surrounding this theory and they've followed up on every single one. At this point, nothing has proven this theory, but they continue to follow leads relating to it when they come in. And let's think about this for a second. Yes, it was likely around 9 p.m. when something happened to him. However, it was Nebraska in July. The sun there does not set until around 9.15. And actually, if you Google it right now, it sets at around 9.15 p.m. So, it's not like this was pitch black dark outside. Why would someone rob another person in almost broad daylight? when he's just walking down the road. Like, he is seen walking down public streets, public sidewalks. He's not dipping down alleys or anything like that. He seems to stay on a certain path. Plus, Chance was not a small guy. He was about six foot tall and 200 pounds. Plus, he rode bulls for a living. This isn't somebody I would think you would look at and think, oh, he's an easy target. Plus, we know he would have fought back. Sure, this theory is definitely possible, more possible than the accident theory in my mind. And Dawn said that she's heard this theory as well. And she said that she hopes it was just a stranger and not a family member that did something to him. Which leads me to my third theory. (laughs) The theory that Bailey and her family had something to do with Chance's disappearance. Clearly, we know she mentioned the death certificate more than once, actually, less than a week after his disappearance. So, Don made a statement that while on the phone with Bailey the night he left the house, that at the start of the call, she wasn't worried. She was not letting anybody else worry. All was well. They were going to find him. No concerns. Don't drive up here to gearing like, he's fine. We've got it. But later on in the call, or it might have been the second call that they made later to each other, Bailey said that Chance was going to be coming home in a body bag. I'm sorry. Why are we talking about body bags? Why would you ever even say that? Now, I will say there are contradicting statements on when she actually mentions the term body bag. I believe it was Dawn herself that said she mentioned it that night. However, I feel like some other time she said it was mentioned two days later. So it's unclear. However, neither one of those times are appropriate times to mention a body bag. Now, Dawn did say that she was obviously worried. She was worked up and she was scared to death that something had happened to him. And she just didn't think they would find him. But I... I just don't know how you can even let your brain go there that soon. So, moving on from that comment. Two weeks later, after the disappearance, one of the investigators on the case, I'm assuming it's Detective Eads, called Dawn and asked her if she was using 
a family lawyer. And Don was like, no, do I need a lawyer? Like, have I messed something up? Why do I need a lawyer? And the detective said, no, you have not done anything wrong and you wouldn't need one. But Bailey and her family have hired a lawyer to represent themselves. When Don asked why they got a lawyer, the detective said they claimed it was to speed the investigation up. But it really slowed it down a lot because that meant everything the police do from now on has to go through the lawyer or the lawyer has to be told before they can proceed. Now, Detective Eads has made it very clear that Bailey has been nothing but cooperative with police. She's done everything they've asked and Bailey has said herself that she has told the police everything she knows. But, despite there being these different theories, these all three different theories, one of which being the accident, that's a valid option, Detective Eads has said earlier this year, back in January in an interview, he said, they're treating this case like a homicide until there's evidence to prove otherwise. So homicide is very clearly on the table. There for a while, Bailey did interviews and she talked to the media. However, she has since stopped doing interviews and refuses to be on camera. She said it's because she has received death threats and she doesn't feel safe anymore. There are obviously a lot of people questioning her and saying she did something to Chance, or at least knows who did. Totally understandable. This is a small town. These are, you know, really two separate small towns. And the drama and the rumor mill is just flowing. She did bring a lot of this on herself, I will say. Not the death threats, obviously. That, that's never okay. But the suspicion against her. She definitely has made herself look guilty by hiring a lawyer two weeks after a disappearance. She has also cut off Chance's family. Dawn said she hasn't seen her grandson in over two years. The families are clearly still at odds and everyone is divided when it comes to what happened to Chance. His parents have not been out actively searching too often for their son. However, Dawn has said multiple times that she honestly doesn't want to be the one to find him. She said she wouldn't be the same after that, and I can't blame her. She has talked to the media and gotten the story out there, and I believe she's done everything but be boots on the ground since that first week. However, Matt Miller has been. He's really taken charge and been out there searching. He created the Help Find Chance Engelbert Facebook page, which is still very active today. Matt has said that Bailey has not spoken to him in almost two years either. She cut him off pretty quickly as well. He said in an interview with News Nation that she is the one person he wants to sit down and talk to. He just wants to sit down and talk to her, but she won't do it. He has reached out to her to see if she would help take over the Facebook page. He's told her that they could team up and work together to find Chance, but she refuses to work together. He said initially it never crossed his mind that Bailey or her family could have been involved or had anything to do with his disappearance, but the moment he got to Gearing, Nebraska to search for his friend, he could tell something was wrong based on Bailey's actions alone. He said she was entirely too calm, little to no emotion, and that was just not like her, not in his experience. But again, we know she cooperated with the police. Dawn has stated that she knows Bailey has gone out on various searches since that day, as well as Bailey's parents. Bailey has said that her mom especially has been super helpful in the investigation. She's gone out on her own and conducted searches since she lives in the area that he went missing. The only question I have, though, is what about the brother-in-law 
and the father-in-law. The ones that he was in the fight with, the one that he was on the golf course with. Were they out searching? I bet they were. I don't know that. I don't know that they weren't. (laughs) I just, I would like to know that specifically. I will try to find that and I'll report back. But so far, I haven't seen anything really mentioned about either one of them besides that first incident on the golf course. But back to the rest of the family. I really do believe that everyone grieves differently. And with the family turmoil that was already there, I'm sure Bailey and her family were just trying to protect themselves, even knowing it might make them look bad to the outside world. Because it seems like they've done everything else right. And let's talk a little bit more about Bailey. I, I don't want to make her look like the bad guy. But again, she's, I feel like, done that to herself. I mean, number one, she has stopped talking to Chance's family. Stopped working with them all together, including Matt. And Matt has stated that he feels she at least knows more than she's letting on. But also people are confused as to how she never found Chance. Because if you remember, she supposedly jumped in the car only a few minutes after he left the house. And not only that, we know he only made it a few miles away from the house. So how didn't she see him? I know he told her he was headed south, but told his friend he was headed northwest. So maybe that's the reason. But still, she claimed to have driven all over the surrounding area, basically in broad daylight. So how could she have missed him? That just doesn't make sense to me. Then there was something odd that happened that Sunday afternoon. I believe it was that that Sunday. As I mentioned earlier, Bailey went back to their house in Moorcroft with the hopes that Chance would show up there. Well, supposedly, a friend of Chance's went to the house for the same reason to see if he just went home. And this must have been before Bailey got there because she wasn't there when he when this friend arrived. And when this guy walked onto the front porch, he saw a cell phone just sitting on the porch railing. He said he didn't know if it belonged to Chance, so he called Matt, and Matt said that he didn't know either, like he couldn't tell based on what he was saying, whose it was. And he told him just to leave it there, that he would drive by later to look at it. Now, Matt made the decision to call Bailey and tell her about the phone on the front porch as well. She claimed to have no idea where it came from. However, when Matt got to the house later that night, the phone was gone, conveniently. And when he asked Bailey about it, she said that she had their next door neighbor come and get it. Now, I've seen this story mentioned a couple times, but not by the police. Plus, people have claimed that the phone was never taken to the police department as evidence. It doesn't mean that it actually wasn't. That's just what people are saying, that that never showed up as evidence. So, can't say for sure. Now, as I briefly mentioned earlier, Chance's family and Bailey's family are not on good terms. Dawn said in an interview that one of the last interactions with Bailey ended with her blaming Dawn for Chance's disappearance. However, Dawn said they have tried to support Bailey emotionally and financially since then, but every effort has been met with a very cold response. Matt Miller and the Engelbert family have taken donations and are continuing to take donations to raise reward money. As of right now, I believe it's up to $18,000, the reward for anyone who knows what happened to Chance. The Facebook page keeps everyone up to date on the investigation as much as possible, and I know you can purchase a missing person sign with Chance's picture on it that says, Have You Seen Me? There's a picture of those signs, or there's a few pictures of those signs posted on the back of 18-wheelers, boats, and cars. It has an anonymous tip line listed as well, which is 724-466-4673. Or you can call the Gearing Police Department at 308-436-5089 if you have any information about the disappearance of Chance Engelbert. 
All right, guys, what do you think happened? I honestly don't know what to believe. If Bailey wasn't 20 years old, if she was older than that, I would say that she definitely did something, that that family was involved. She knows more than she's letting on, at least. And maybe she does know more, but a part of me feels like this cold attitude towards her in-laws has nothing to do with Chance's disappearance. I don't think she wanted them around before that. And to be frank, I have a friend that's going through that same family issue right now because of a girl. And all I have to say is that if he or she is pushing you away from your family, you need to run. That's not going to work out. You're going to end up miserable and you're going to have no one. So just run now. (laughs) But I feel like she was just a young girl who already had troubles in her marriage, supposedly, and had a family that probably was more involved than they needed to be, just like Chance's. But these are two families that clearly loved their child more than anything, and you can't blame them for that. And I want to be clear, I'm not saying that one family handled things better than the other. I think they both probably should have done things differently. And all that said, (laughs) the true crime lover in me feels like there are some serious red flags when it comes to Bailey and her family. I'm sure a lot of you feel the same way, but maybe you don't. What do you think about the three theories surrounding the case? Is there another theory that you can think of that hasn't been mentioned? I genuinely don't believe it's an accident. That's one thing I can almost say for certain. But we know it's very rare that I believe anything's an accident because I never want it to just be a tragic accident. I want there to be a resolution, one that makes sense, one that isn't just a mistake made by the victim or something along those lines. Not that I want there to ever be foul play either. I just have mixed emotions on this one, guys. So as always... I want to know your thoughts. Head over to the podcast Instagram page to make your comment on how you feel about today's episode or leave a five-star review and show some love wherever you can. And lastly, before I close this episode out, I just want to remind you about the Unclever podcast that I was interviewed on and that episode drops next week, August 1st. So go follow their podcast Instagram page and go ahead and subscribe. You can follow them wherever you're listening to this podcast. Highly recommend you check them out and listen to that episode when it comes out. But that'll do it for me this week. I'll be back here in two weeks for another new episode. Until then, stay safe. Bye.